Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Tuesday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you're joining us today. This is the second part of the series that we're doing on stewardship, and we're talking about the habits of a good steward. We're talking about the heart of a good steward, and we're talking about the hope of a good steward. And we covered the first point yesterday, talking about habits. We said that the first habit of a good steward is that they are faithful and waiting. And then we talk about waiting, being watchful and being prepared and anticipating the fact that somebody's going to be coming back to check up on what we are managing. And that's what stewardship is all about. Stewardship in the Bible is all about taking something that doesn't belong to you and managing it well. And when you think about it, nothing really belongs to us permanently. And uh, we were doing a small group study last night talking about this subject of stewardship. And uh, the gentleman who was leading this study was talking about the deed to our house, right? And if you uh, have your house paid off and there's no longer a mortgage on that house, you get a deed of title that points out the fact that you own that thing free and clear. And your wife's name's on there if she's part owner with you. And your name's on there uh, if you're the owner of it. And it's really cool having a deed to your own house, right? But he talked about the fact that as Christians... Uh, or really anybody, we really don't own anything. Uh, That house really belongs to the Lord, and He allows us to manage it. My life belongs to the Lord. He allows me to manage it. You know, there's going to be a time when you're not going to be managing anything. Your your work on this world is going to be over with, and uh, you'll be heading up to heaven if you know Christ. Now, if you don't know Christ, uh, that's a different story, right? Because the Bible says, if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, you're going to be separated from God forever in a terrible place called hell. Now, I don't even like to talk about that place called hell because the Bible has a lot of bad things to say about hell. It says it's a place where the worm dieth not. Uh, it's a place called the bottomless pit. It's called the place of eternal punishment. It's called the place of eternal flames, right? And hell is going to be a terrible thing. Now, it was never designed for human occupancy. Uh, it was created for the devil and his angels when they fell from heaven. And because we have the opportunity to reject Christ. You know, heaven can be our home if we receive him, but hell will be our home if we reject him. And I hope that nobody listening to me, I hope that nobody here listening to this broadcast will reject Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we get into these debates about election and free will, and and, and I want you to know that's a good debate to have. But here's the bottom line. If you are feeling that tug at your heart to be born again, you're feeling like the Spirit of God is drawing you into salvation, receive the free gift of God's salvation, and you're part of God's elect. It's very simple, right? God doesn't elect anybody to go to hell. God elects us to go to heaven, and we have a choice. Are we going to receive that free gift, or are we going to reject that free gift? And so uh, when we receive that free gift, we become stewards of the mystery of God. And in this time of waiting, it's time of preparation, but it's also understanding that it's a time of living in wisdom, living on purpose, living with some determination. Paul says, this is how one should regard us. Now, this is written to the Corinthian believers, should regard us as stewards of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he says, it's required of a steward that they be found faithful. So it's not optional here, right? Uh, It's not an option that you can be found unfaithful as a steward. You're a bad steward if you're not faithful. So faithful in living out the wisdom of God. So we think about living in the message of the mysteries of God. What does this mean, okay? It means that we have been given a secret. The secret has been revealed. And and one of the terms that the Bible believers have used to describe biblical doctrines to the world is that they're a mystery, right? They don't understand what 
the Lord is trying to impart to them. You know, another way of saying this verse is that our faith is not standing on the wisdom of men because it comes not from men, but it comes from God. It says, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the power of God upon our lives is what reveals to us the mysteries of God. And you think about this word mystery, again, it refers to a sacred secret. It's something that has been hidden in the past, but was eventually revealed. Paul wrote about the mystery to the Gentiles and or the non-Jews becoming part of the church. He says, this is a mystery that God wanted his people throughout the world to know the glorious riches of his mystery, which is a Christ living in you, giving you the hope of glory. Paul's saying, here's the revelation of this mystery. It is found when Christ lives in you and he gives you the hope of glory. Now, the New Living Translation puts it this way. Maybe this will help clarify it in your mind. It says, for it pleased God to tell his people that the riches and the glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Here's the revelation of the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. So the secret that has been hidden during Old Testament times is revealed in the New Testament. This is the biblical use of the term mystery. Mystery is used in the sense a number of times of Scripture, and we are called to be managers, stewards of the mysteries of God. Not only do we profess it, but we possess it. It's living within us. So we are to walk in wisdom. Well, let me even give you a deeper clarification. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. Paul is writing, and again, remember, he's writing to believers. The believers at Corinth, they were a dysfunctional church. We'll put it that way, okay? But they were believers, okay, even though they were dysfunctional. So that gives us hope, right? You may be listening to me and say, man, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've received the free gift of salvation, but man, my life is a mess, right? Uh, Well, Paul understood that because he had a whole church of people that were extremely messed up. And Paul says that our faith should not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He says, among the mature, however, we speak a message of wisdom but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of the mysteries and the hidden wisdom of God, which he destined for our glory before time began. Paul is driving home the point. We are to be stewards of the mysteries of God because God has revealed this to us and we're to walk in wisdom, but this wisdom is different than the wisdom of this age, different than the rulers of this age. You know, a good steward who is a non-believer, would would have the mindset that everything that I must do must be about the bottom line, right? It must be about what's best for me. But a follower of Christ says, we're not going to speak of the message of the wisdom of the world. We have these hidden mysteries that have been revealed to us by the wisdom of God. And he gives us this hope, and he allows us to share in his glory. Now, this is really amazing, and I wish I had the time really to take a deep dive on the hope that we have in Christ. You know, the hope that we have in Christ should give us this drive and this determination to keep on keeping on no matter how bad things get, because our hope is not in the nasty now and now. Our hope is not in what we accomplish here in this world. Our hope is found in Christ, and when we have that revealed to us, that everything about our lives is about Christ. Then he allows us to share in his glory. And I think the best way to understand this is look at the life of Christ when he was here on the earth. 
When he was here on this earth, he never lost hope. He knew he was here for a mission. He knew he had something to accomplish. And so he was a good steward of the time that he had. Jesus lived a relatively short time. And he only lived on this earth 33 years. His ministry was only three years long. But yet he was so efficient in those three years because he understood the big purpose that God had for him. He had a purpose to come to seek and save those who were lost. He had the purpose to die for the sins of humanity. Uh, That was his driving purpose in his life. And so he fulfilled that purpose. And when he's going through these horrific times on this earth, he was looking past the pain to the glory he'd have in heaven. So good stewards understand waiting. Good stewards understand living in wisdom. Number three, good stewards are blameless in all their ways. Uh, Let's look at Titus 1.7. Now, there are are three New Testament books that deal with the uh, requirements and the responsibilities of a pastor or an overseer, but a steward is one who is really an overseer. So in a sense, all of us who are believers are pastors or are ministers. And so Paul says to Timothy, Titus 1.7, an overseer as God's steward, there it is, as God's manager, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Now, the reason this is so important is because maybe you haven't really thought about this, right? Did you ever think about the fact that you are so valuable to God that he chose you before you were born and he chose you with enthusiasm? Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1.4, he says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. Isn't this good stuff, right? So we're told that we're to be above reproach. Now, blameless is an interesting word, right? I discovered that sometimes we think that we're blameless, but what we've really done is blame somebody else for our shortcomings. That is being blameful. That's not being blameless. In Discipleship Journal, Don McLaurin wrote an article, and and the article goes like this. When John Killinger was a was telling about a manager who was managing a major league baseball team, and and I, I'm a big baseball fan. I, I love watching my beloved Boston Red Sox, right? And and uh, and the great thing about live about living in the Hampton Roads area, we have a minor league team, but we don't have a major league team, and so you you can really be a fan of any team, any National League team, and uh, you'd be okay because this is kind of like a melting pot and we have people from all over the country that live here in the Greater Hampton Roads. And so, uh, but being raised in New England, if you're from Massachusetts or you're from New England, there's only one baseball team. And that baseball team is the Boston Red Sox. And the Boston Red Sox have one team they despise, the New York Yankees, okay? And we don't really care about any other team out there. We hate the Yankees. We don't care about any other team. We love our beloved Red Sox. Well, uh, this manager of this minor league baseball team, who was disgusted with his center field's performance, orders him off the field to the dugout. And, uh, and he decides that I'm going to take the center field position himself. Now, 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 as you get older, right, in your mind, you can still do things. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't work out the way that your mind thinks it's going to work out. And so here we have this manager kick the center fielder off the center field. And he goes out there and he's, he's going to show the young guy, this is how you play center field, right? And so the first ball came to him into center field. And it takes a bat hop and it hits the manager right smack in the mouth, Okay. <laughs> Well, maybe that was a, a fluke thing, taking a bad hop. And, and then the next ball comes in, and this one's a high fly ball. 
which he loses in the glare of the sun until it bounces off his forehead. Well, for the third time, a line drive came flying by that unfortunately flew right between his hands and smacked him in the eye. Well, furiously, he ran back to the dugout, grabbed the center fielder by the uniform, and he shouted, You idiot! You've got center field so messed up that even I can't do a thing with it. Okay, so, so we think about blameless, right? Sometimes this term blameless can be misinterpreted as requiring perfection of some sort, but rather requires cleansing, forgiveness, consistently growing, I think persistently praying for the believer. In Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3, it expresses the goal, and and it gives us this goal. It says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Now, it doesn't say perfect, right? But we could say the overall bent of my life is blameless. The overall trajectory of my life is blameless. I'm constantly making adjustments to become blameless. I'm constantly adjusting things. And, and somebody told me one time, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that when a plane takes off, that 90% of its flight pattern is off. And so the pilot is constantly making minor adjustments to keep that plane on track, to keep it on the right course, because it has this natural tendency to go off. And so you make fine changes. You, you make fine changes so that you get back on course. That's a blameless person, right? When something is a little bit off, that's when they deal with it. They don't wait for a major catastrophe, right? And, and it says, those who walk according to the law of the Lord, blessed are those who keep his statues and keep him with all their hearts. They do no wrong, but they follow his ways. So here we could say that if you're going to be a good steward, you're going to be blameless, or we could say that you're going to be undefiled. It means that you're walking in integrity. You know, integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is really, I have this pretense and and I'm trying to be something that I'm not really, I'm not really that person. But an, an undefiled person is one who would be walking in all areas of their life as the Lord would want them to walk. I think about Job in Job 1, right? They use this phrase that there's a man in the land of Oz, and his name was Job. It says that he was blameless and upright, and he was one that feared the Lord and he shunned evil. So blameless, right? In Hebrew, it means that you are a person that is not lacking. You're upright. Uh, the Greek has the same idea, right? In the New Testament. And James says this in James 1.4, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there's nothing in my life that is way off track. And again, it's not implying sinless perfection because none of us could do that, right? If blamelessness means that I'm sinless, then none of us will ever be blameless. But it's rather a lifestyle or a way in which each area is growing in conformity to God's word. That's what a good steward does. So we've learned so far that a good steward is one who is, is waiting in preparation, waiting for the, uh, the master to come back, waiting for the groom to come in, and waiting for the reckoning, we call it. And then secondly, they live in wisdom, because God has revealed some things to them in God's in His Word, and then they're blameless in all their ways. And so uh, we're not just a steward for one part; uh, we are stewards for the whole enchilada, we could say, right? And then number four, the fourth habit, is that good stewards are always generous in gifts, and be, they realize that this is really an act of worship. In First Peter four ten, Peter tells us that each of us 
should use or give whatever gift that we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and in its various forms. Now I think about the preparation, the generosity, the walking in blameless, and the wisdom that is required. You know, Kirk Cousins uh, is a, a starting quarterback, the starting quarterback for the the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, and he makes more in one year than most people will make in a lifetime. But the NFL career, he knows, and, and NFL has this old standing joke: NFL stands for not for long, and and so Cousins is is committed believer, and he's committed to giving and to saving in a way that will enable his family to continue to be giving generously for the rest of his life. Well, way back in 2005, when Kurt Cousins was just in high school, I heard about a ministry called the International Justice Ministry and heard about their working and fighting human trafficking and slavery. And, and Cousins was so moved by uh, this ministry. Instead of traveling with the organization or joining the staff, He had in his mind that he wanted to support this international justice ministry financially. So Cousins says that I walked out of that service that night. And remember, just a high school student, probably a senior in high school. I walked out of service that night and I prayed, God, give me more to steward. Give me an opportunity to help someday. Now, that didn't happen immediately. But after college, Cousins was drafted by the Washington football team in 2012 and he was drafted as a backup quarterback. He signed a $2.5 million four-year rookie contract. Uh, then his fourth year came up, and uh, the team promoted him to starting quarterback, and he, started, he signed a one-year contract uh, with Washington for $20 million. When that contract expired, the team signed him for another year for $24 million. Uh, going into his seventh year in the NFL, Cousins and his team weren't able to agree on a, on a long-term deal, and so he signed a three-year fully guaranteed $84 million contract with the Minnesota Vikings in 2018. Cousins quips, there aren't many starting quarterbacks who are 50 or 60 years old. At some point, unfortunately, when I'm done, it's going to end earlier than I'd like, the income stream is going to get cut off. With that in mind, Cousins is learning to save so that even after he is no longer playing professional football, he can increase his giving percentage each and every year. You know, when we think about habits, we think about the fact that we're in this thing and we're to be generous as we're a steward. Generosity is is such a, a missing character trait, I think, in our world today. We are so driven to look out for number one that we forget that a generous heart is a godly heart. God so loved the world that he gave. You know, one of the reasons I have a hard time understanding why Christians refuse to be generous in their giving. You know, uh, the average Christian does not tithe. The average Christian is not generous in their giving. As a matter of fact, 80% of the giving is done by 20% of the believers, and an even fewer percentage of those people actually tithe. And I just, for the life of me, cannot comprehend how a person could be a Christian year in and year out and and not be a steward of their money and not be generous of their money and their resources. But those who are good stewards have these four habits in place. Now let's look at not only the habits of a good steward, but let's look at the, the heart of a good steward. Looking at Psalm 24, 
The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountains of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads. Your gate will be lifted up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle is he. Now, verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 24 are so powerful and so intense that they're repeated again in Psalms uh, 24, verses 8 and 9. As we think about the heart of a great steward, the great steward understands that everything belongs to the Lord. Now, look what David writes here. He says that God founded the earth on the waters. The world is on the waters. Now, David didn't know at that time that the majority of the earth is not earth, but water. 75% of our globe is water. Here, David points out the fact that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, that's the stuff that's living on top of it. That's the worth of the things below it, the things above it, the world, all that live in it. All of it belongs to him because he is the one that created it. He founded it on the seas. And if you understand the creation account, you realize that God created water first and then earth second, and he established it right on the waters. And so then David asked himself, well, who can go into the mountain of the Lord? Who can get up in the holy place of this one who created all things? And he answers his own questions by saying, the one with clean hands and a pure heart. So here's the takeaway. The heart of a good steward is one who recognizes God's right of ownership. Listen, God owns it. Whether you recognize it or not, God owns it. So you look in and you say, who owns what I have? Ah, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The second thing we see about the heart of a, of a good steward is not only does he recognize that God owns it all, but it responds to God's requirements for righteousness. So I look out and say, how do I manage what I have? I'm looking out, it's okay. Am I a good steward of my time? Am I my talents, my treasures? As I look out, do I respond to God's righteous requirements when it comes to stewardship? And then the third part of the heart is this. We rejoice with God's resounding praise. In other words, a good steward will look up and says, man, what is the purpose for all that I have? All that I have should bring glory to God. That is the heart of a good steward. Well, there's one final thing we've got to look at in just the uh, few minutes that we have left today in the broadcast. What is the hope of a good steward? There's two things. Number one is the hope is a, a future reward. Paul wrote it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Oh, one day, those who have been good stewards are going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as our reward. Oh, what a reason for us to be involved in being a good steward, because one day it will be well worth it. 
There's a second hope that we have as good stewards, and, and that is the eternal joy that we have. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you and put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Oh, I want you to know that we have the opportunity to share because we've been faithful in little things. We get to share in the joy of the Lord. And this is talking about an eternal joy. Ah, oh, David said this, Weeping may endure for the night, Ah, but joy comes in the morning. You may spend a lifetime with a lot of heartache, a lot of setbacks, but be faithful as a steward because joy comes in the morning. One day you'll come and share the master's happiness. So ask yourself, am I a good steward? Am I taking the time that God has given me? Am I taking the talents that God has given me? And what about these treasures that God has given me? What about even the thoughts that God has allowed to go through my mind? Am I a good steward? Oh, my friend, I'd like to pray for you. If you need some extra help in being a good steward, uh, would you give me a call? 757-421-7500. 757-421-7500. I would love to help you to be a better steward. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Just hang in there. Listen, good things are going to come your way. Don't quit on Monday because God's blessing is coming on Tuesday. Hang in there, my friend. It's too early to quit. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.